Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Monday. This is Seattle Now. Seattle needs many thousands of units of affordable housing right now, and the need is only growing. Now, voters in the city are being asked whether or not to approve social housing, a new-to-us idea that would create mixed-income buildings. Well, eventually. Axios Seattle's Melissa Santos is here to explain. But first, let's get you caught up. Washington lawmakers want to pass a law banning at-home rape kits. They say companies are profiting off survivors and blocking their chance at justice. The self-administered kits aren't admissible evidence in Washington courts, and they're ineligible for testing in the state's crime lab. The state's AG's office sent a cease and desist to one company producing the kits last October. There's a public hearing on HB 1564 on Tuesday. The Bellevue School District is close to choosing which three elementary schools to shut down. King 5 reports parents are expecting an announcement at a school board meeting Thursday. The board identified seven schools with declining enrollment and hosted open houses and listening sessions at each of them last month. If the process seems quick, that's because it is. The original decision to consolidate was only announced last month. There's an online petition with 1,500 signatures asking the district to slow down process. And Seattle's classic fake spring came early this year. We only got about half the normal amount of rain in January, but we're back to the wet gray winter we all know and love. There's a solid chance of rain every day this week, according to the National Weather Service, and we probably won't see the sun until Friday. Ballots went out last month, and they're due Tuesday the 14th. Seattle voters get the chance to decide on Initiative 135, the latest attempt to address our region's skyrocketing housing costs with an idea known as social housing. Melissa Santos is a reporter for Axios Seattle. She's here to explain what the initiative is about and what it might do. Melissa, glad you're here. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we have this special election next week. Let's talk about what's on the ballot. Well, it's only one item, so it should be fairly simple for voters in in theory, uh, but it's a complicated item. It's this item to create a social housing development authority that would be a publicly run developer that buys and builds affordable housing that's public housing in perpetuity. Let's break this down a little more. What is social housing? So what makes it social housing is it's sort of an intermingling of different income levels. Is it not uh, these wouldn't be buildings where it's just everyone who lives there makes under 30% of the median income. It's up to 120% of the median income. All those folks can live in there and uh the deal is each of them pay a rent that's a proportion of their income. It's maximum 30% of their income. And if you make more, you pay more, right? Then lower income people would pay much less. One of the interesting ways I've seen this described is from a quote in a from a, an official in Vienna, Austria, who said, in our social housing structure, you can't tell how much someone makes based on their address. And I guess that is the broad idea of social housing if it were implemented widely. So Vienna is the example that the proponents also cite as a place where it's worked really well. It's like the, the housing wouldn't be like stigmatized housing, I think is part of the idea. Like these yeah. are just places where people live. You have teachers and nurses living among people who maybe make a lot less. Um, but I mean, that's kind of also the argument for having middle income, income people in there. It's, it's, it's like, shouldn't teachers and firefighters and such be able to live in the community that they serve theoretically rather than commuting from, 
you know, an, an hour into Seattle. That's sort of the logic that you want your essential workers to be able to live in the city. Uh, Melissa, this creates a sort of stable housing for people, regardless of how their income fluctuates over the years. Yeah, that's right. So initially, they're limiting who can get into 125% of the median income or below, you know, down to 0% of the median income. Um, but if you got a raise or something, and you're kind of on that that threshold, um, they're not going to kick you out of the building if you suddenly make 126% of the median income. That's actually in there that changes in your income once result in eviction um, is basically one one part of this um, uh, whole idea. Um, and then the rents being capped is permanently affordable, you know, based on uh, being a certain share of income. Um, you just pay more rent if you make more money, basically. So if you, they don't kick you out, it's like, yeah, all right, just give us a little more money. It's fine. Melissa, will Initiative 135 create social housing? Not immediately. Um, so it would create the entity that is supposed to make the housing, right? and sort of get that bureaucracy sort of off the ground, I think it would do a little more than just like create a task force to explore the idea, right? Mm. I mean, this would be an entity that is created that can take out bonds, borrow money to make stuff um, and build stuff. Melissa, there's a little startup money built into this legislation. If it passes, what will the people be able to do with that money? So that startup money really only pays for 18 months of, you know, a couple of people's salaries, really, like an executive director and a chief financial officer to just get the whole ball rolling and some office space. The city might would have to provide something like an office space, stuff like that. Uh, after that, though, these, you know, two individuals theoretically are going to be working to get more funding somehow, uh, whether that be through the city providing some sort of new revenue or, um, you know, in theory, they could create a plan for buying and building buildings and then t- borrow money based on the rents they plan to get. So that would be longer road than just, you know, having some money infused from the start. But that's, um, yeah, the, the, the money for the office there is there for 18 months. And then after that, it's kind of up to the development authority how things proceed. And in terms of new development, what kind of parameters would this initiative put on developing and overseeing the housing it creates? Well, there's a couple of things. Anything that's built would have to be built as green standard, sort of this idea of not using uh, a lot of energy, being very energy efficient. And that would be the same. They Actually, for, for housing that's bought would eventually have to be renovated to kind of be efficient and energy efficient. Uh, there's also this standard of there's there to be some governing boards that the people who live there would have a, some role in. So each building would have a governing board that the residents have a say in. And actually, the board of the entire government entity, the development authority, would also have to be majority, um, you know, renters and people who are who living in the housing. I mean, that's the idea is that it's sort of self-governance in some respect, in, in some to some level. Let's talk about the actual funding for the bill. What is the long term prospect for funding? It is a pretty big question mark, right? I mean, will Seattle say, OK, the voters approved this, so we will go and um, find money to kind of make it happen and, and, and follow the vision? Or will they just be like, no, <laughs> we're not going to do that? They're not trying to claim that money necessarily. The proponents of this really are kind of trying to say 
that they'll be able to generate some money on their own through the model through this model uh, that they're proposing. And they want some new funding, basically, so that there isn't this competition for money in the same way. So, you know, that's um, certainly sort of the weakness of the measure that the, that the opponents point to, like, where is this money coming from? And I mean, it's not in the, the ballot measure. It's not in there. And uh, one of the arguments against this bill is exactly what you're saying, that this housing authority would be competing with all the other housing authorities we already have in the city of Seattle. Let's talk about those. What kinds of public housing and low-income options are already in the city, and what makes social housing different from what we've got? We do have housing authorities that also are saying, we'll keep these buildings affordable, you know, and we have Seattle Housing Authority, and those are also public entities. The difference I see is sort of most of those programs target lower income people. They don't go up to the middle income. They don't say, okay, you're making the median income, you can live here. And, and, and that's actually crucial to the social housing development model, because that's how it generates money. So you're not, theoretically, you're not having to pour as much money into maintaining these buildings over time and all that. Um but that's also the criticism of the opponents. Like, why are you going to help people with housing that already are making the median income? That doesn't make sense to us. We have people living on the street who need housing now. These are people on both sides who really care about people who are homeless, people who are low income. Um, and, and, and it's just there's not really agreement among people who are involved in developing affordable housing about whether this is the right approach or not. Some people think it really would be great and be an addition, kind of another strategy just to help build upon what we are already doing. Others say that it would take away from what we're already doing. So uh, that's really the question on the ballot for voters, I think. Yeah. And let's talk about who's backing, who are the big names backing or opposing this measure, Melissa? So backing it, um, Real Change, which is not, they have a newspaper, but they're also an advocacy group for uh, people who are experiencing homelessness and affordable housing. They're a main driver behind Initiative 135. Um, also, one of the big affordable housing developers, the Low Income Housing Institute, Lehigh, is, is supporting this measure. But there's a large coalition of affordable housing developers that are not on board with this. And interestingly, one of the people who is opposing it is, you know, was a founder of the Downtown Emergency Services Center, which, again, serves really low-income people, people who are experiencing homelessness. These are not people who just don't like homeless people opposing this necessarily. You know, Melissa, it doesn't make it much easier for voters to try to figure out because there's so much nuance in this arrangement we already have versus the one we're looking at. It really forces people to do their homework. What are you hearing about the future of this initiative? Does it seem likely to pass? February special elections are just so unpredictable because you don't know who's really going to show up to vote. This election was on Valentine's Day, right? I mean, Mm. granted, we have mail-in voting. People can vote now. You can return your ballot right now. But it's just kind of a weird time to have an election. And I think that throws a lot of wild cards in here. I also think there's not a lot of information out about the me- about the measure. The opposing campaign isn't really some big funded group. That could mean that the people supporting it, you know, are getting out there and more. And it's also possible, I mean, to be honest, I do think not putting a tax measure in the, bizi- the bill to pay for it is by design. I think that makes it more likely to pass because people aren't seeing, oh, we're going to tax people making over for 300000 a year or something like that. There's not like a specific tax Im- immediate consequence that people see. Well, Melissa, we will find out. Before I let you go, one final look. If this does pass, what can voters expect to see happen? Well, there will be an office created to theoretically launch all these efforts. 
So as a reporter, you do ask, okay, so how many units do you think you'll be able to build with this, right? And and they said, you know, we're not really going there right now. So when I asked them that question, like, we're, we're not going to make promises on that. We don't want to make a promise and then fall short of it. And then people say, you didn't do enough when we're still, you know, think we're implementing a, some, a really good system that's going to work for people in the long term. And so I don't have a good sense of, you know, by what timeline they would build this many units. And I think that's because of the question of, well, are they just going to have to sort of bond on future rent and then, you know, borrow money against that and build more slowly? Or are they going to get an infusion of money from some, from, from, you know, the city, from a new tax that would jumpstart this and allow them to buy buildings and, and you know, and, and start building faster? And I think that's why they're not answering that question, because they don't know which of those scenarios is going to happen after the measure passes, if it should pass. Well, Melissa Santos, really appreciate you wading through this complicated issue with us. Melissa Santos, reporter at Axios Seattle. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Brooklyn Jamerson Flowers. The show is also produced by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, Vaughn Jones, Jenny Cecil Moore, and Brandy Fullwood. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Thank you.